6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. We are not under the Mosaic Law. That's a tough thing for many people to swallow. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. And what is he talking about? Levi was the only tribe that represented the people before the altar of God. Kings and priests were separate under the Levitical tribal system. Melchizedek was not of any specific tribe. And from this point of view, neither is Christ, except he's from the tribe of Judah, of course. He of whom these things are spoken refers to Jesus Christ. He was the tribe of Judah, the royal line. And of course, to the Jewish mind, that's a contradiction. Royal versus priesthood, they're always supposed to be separate in the Jewish mind. That's what he's trying to get crawl over here. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. The Aaronic priesthood was required, and in Numbers 16 and 17, that's all uh, uh, dealt with. A uh, descendant of Aaron would serve from age 25 to 55, and then he's replaced. And many were disqualified for lack of proof when he got back from Babylon and Ezra 2 and Nehemiah 7. That is a big issue. For it is yet more evident that, for, that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. Not Melchizedek, but one modeled after that, if you will. The model, or it's, he's de dealing by an analogy here. And uh, there arises another priest. Now the word another in the Greek, see, when you, in the English, if, if somebody says, give me another pencil, there's something I don't know about that sentence. Do I want one exactly the same or one of a different kind? In the Greek, I've got two words. I've got the word heteros or alos. If I, ask, if I use the word alos, that means I want a pencil exactly like the one I just broke. See? If I say heteros, that means I want a different kind. Give me a red one or a green one or something. Follow me? In the Greek, when I ask for another, I can tell from the language whether it's another the same or another that's different. Give me another one. When I say it, when I, I would, when I say it that way, no, I don't want that one. I want a different kind. I don't want chicken eggs. I want goose eggs or something. Well, here, the word in the Greek is not ambiguous. The word is heteros that it's another of a different kind, not another of the same kind, okay? There arises another priest, a priest of a different kind. And so, this shows that the old priesthood was temporary. It was evident by what is spelled out in the preceding verses. And is yet far more evident that for that after the similitude of Melchizedek arises another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Wow. See, the law is still carnal. It's fleshly. The law you can't keep, it's just there to show you that you can't keep it. That's what the book of Romans is all about. But rather, we're rather, after that, rather than the law of a carnal commandment, we're after the power of an endless life. Wow. And this is, this is a way of pointing out that the, that the law of God, that God gave after the flesh, 
ordained the Levitical priesthood and its succession by genealogy are linked together. Old versus the old was based on the law, which was outward. The new is based on inward power and is inward. The old system meant that man was a priest only because his father was a priest. Now, you know, if you were born as a descendant of Aaron, you were eligible to be a priest. And that resulted in some pretty dismal priests. Um, there, some, some, really, some really bad news. And uh, remember, Aaron, Aaron himself made a golden calf when pressured, right? And of course, Eli's sons, they were priests, but they were full of gluttony and immorality and what have you, 1 Samuel 2 and so on. Now this one had been made. The Greek perfect tense emphasized the abiding nature. He has been made a priest and continues. He has been and forever will be, is the point, is the thought. In the case of Jesus, the basis was according to the power of an endless life. Jesus became a priest after his resurrection, and by virtue of his resurrection, he lives forever. So he's never to be replaced, in contrast to Aaron. And the writer suggesting that's all modeled, in a sense, from Melchizedek. For thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. That's quoting Psalm 110, verse 4, emphasizing two things. The eternality, eternality of the priesthood, you're a priest forever, it never stops, and also the character of the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And so this was a prophecy given under Mosaic law, because it's part of the Old Testament, it's part of the thing. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and, pro and, profitable, and profitableness thereof. This verse, verse 18 is a toughie in terms of the Jewish mind. Disannulling. There is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before. The word disannulling in the, in the, Hebrew, in the Greek, excuse me, is athetesis, means to abolish. The only other place it appears is in Hebrews 9 verse 26 where it talks about putting away sin forever. Abolishing sin. It's a very strong term. There's verily a disannulling of what? The commandment going before. Christ's death put away the law for two reasons. Disannul the law. Because of the weakness, the law could not impart strength or justification. The law cannot impart strength nor justification. That's what the book of Romans is all about. The second thing is the unprofitableness thereof. The law could not impart life. The best you could do is show you where you fail, not how to succeed. Thus the priesthood that is after the law can only be temporary. It's destined, therefore, to be replaced, to be superseded. And that superseding of it is what we have in hand with Jesus Christ as our high priest. The law has been disannulled. Boy, that's a heavy topic. But this is a clear statement in the text that the law has been put away. This was essential for Jesus to function in his new priesthood. If the law were still in effect, he could not be a priest. He could be a priest only because the law has been put away. Because he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He wasn't qualified. You see, follow me? He is again making the point that the law itself didn't perfect anything. 
It simply shows us the need for a Savior. And that's what Romans 5, 6, and 7 is all about. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. That's the goal. The law didn't bring you to God. It showed you the need for a Savior. The law of Moses is a terrifying picture of a God that requires righteousness. As you study your Bible and understand God, you understand He's a righteous God. That's important to understand His perfection, but it's scary if you really understand it. It does not draw you to the holy God. And by the way, what drew Moses was a burning bush that was not consumed. The bush was a thorn bush of the desert, a symptom of sin, but it was burning but not consumed. That fascinated him, so he went up there to find out what it was about. It was, it's a model of grace, being, being judged but not consumed. It's always grace that attracts, not righteousness. You need to know the righteousness there, but what attracts you is His grace. It does not draw you near to or nigh to a holy God. Only God can fulfill the law and provide you with the righteousness which allows you to be in the presence of a holy God. Nothing less than the death of God Himself availed to pay the price to allow you access and presence to Him. Jesus, indeed, contrary to an ironic priest, He draws us near to God. Through His love we draw near, and by His righteousness we can be near God. Okay? Inasmuch as not without an oath, He was made a priest. Those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by Him that said unto Him, Thou Lord swear and will not repent, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. A Levitical priest became a priest by genealogy, period. There was no oath involved. From Melchizedek, as testified in Psalm 110, verse 4, God swore an oath and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever. After so he's it's done by an oath of God, which means there's no repentance, no changing. God, Lord, swear and will not repent, will not change his mind. The Levitical priesthood was not set up with an oath that was genealogical. The Melchizedek priesthood was unique in that it was by divine oath, as Psalm 110, 4 nails it down. And those things that are sworn become permanent and unchangeable. That's a common thread throughout this epistle. That, will, that explains the enigma of Hebrews 6 and, and the impossibility of repentance there. And um, it continues to be a th thread here. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Okay. The word surety. There is a principle, I think you've heard me allude to, that we people call the law of first mention. We discover by studying the Bible, the first time a concept emerges is usually very significant. The word surety, what does that mean? It's like a bondsman, a sponsor. Someone who gives himself as security is what a surety is here. The law first mentioned. This concept of surety first emerges when Judah proposed that he may be made a surety for the return of his brothers. Remember in Genesis 43 and, and uh, Judah uh, uh, proposes that he's a surety. That's where the term first comes up. Like a security deposit. The tribe which is thus represented here is Judah. Our security, yours and mine, is in the line of the tribe of Judah. Because he's standing in our stead. And this is not a coincidence. Every detail in the scripture, I maintain, is there by design. The fact that surety first emerges as a concept happens to be tied to the tribe of Judah. Because that's, that's the critical surety for you and I. The same concept of surety you can also see in Paul's epistle to Philemon about Onesimus. They're in a way slave and all of that. 
where Paul offers to be a surety for him. The covenant with Adam did not have a surety, but the covenant with Israel did. Big difference. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Same verse, but let's focus on this word testament. Dathetiki is a covenant, sometimes rendered testament. Uh, the covenant is probably the better term in some respects, but testament implies it's unilateral, because usually a last will, the beneficiary doesn't participate. It's a one-way thing. But in that sense, it's a testament, but the word covenant uh, captures the commitment probably a little more clearly. This is the first of a total of 17 times that this word is used in this epistle alone. So it's an important word. It's used a total of 33 times in the entire New Testament, and of course half of them here in, in this epistle. The security of the new covenant, we're going to talk more about that in the next session, is Jesus Christ himself. He ministers in a superior sanctuary by a better covenant and built upon better promises. And that's a summary of Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 that we'll see coming along here. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continues forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. See, a, Le a, Le a Levitical priest could only... He he's going to die, first of all. In fact, he was, he was out of business at 50. But even so, he would die. He, he had to be replaced. This man, because he lives forever, will never be changed. It's an unchangeable priesthood. And so the others mortal and died. They had to be continually replaced as unchangeable, which uh, the, the very specific Greek word means does not pass from one to another in that sense. Aaronic versus Melchizedek. It, what's the difference in Aaron and Let's just, this is a summary slide. It's law versus power. The law restrains, power enables. It's a command, an external commandment versus life internal. Carnal flesh versus endless eternal life. Changing versus unchanging. Weakness and unprofitableness versus being near to God. One is nothing is completed or perfected versus one that gives us a better hope. That's a quick contrast between the two. Now this is a key verse. Some would argue the key verse of the chapter for sure. Wherefore he, who's the he? Jesus. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. One of the most exciting facts you need to be conscious of moment by moment, day by day, is that while we sit here, Jesus' full-time job is to be praying for you before the Father. Wow, that's access, that's prayer power in this ultimate. And when it says save to the uttermost, it doesn't mean he's going to save everybody. No, the ones he's praying for, he's praying for everything for them. The uttermost is to the one he's praying for. The, the word is completely, perfectly, utterly. Save them to the uttermost. These words intend to exclude nothing. There is no condition or situation that you may be facing that is not included in his prayer life. Wow. I don't think we have any concept of how important that is in our day-to-day -day walk. How often he's praying for you for needs you didn't even know you had. Wow. Uttermost. That come unto God by him, and this is the only condition. See, that uttermost isn't for everybody. It's for that come to God by him. That's the condition, that they come unto God by Jesus. That's a pretty narrow point of view. Yes, it is. But that is what the Scripture says all through it. There's no other name given among men by which you should be saved. 
He said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Those are his exclamations. Now, he's able to bring them to God by making intercession for them. And that's amplified in Romans 5 and 1 John 1 and elsewhere. Ever liveth to make in That's his purpose in life. The basis of our eternal security is that he can save forever because his priesthood is forever. Boy, that's breathtaking. That's breathtaking. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Wow, that's a mouthful. Spotless priest. He's holy. That's his personal purity. He's not capable of sinning. His relationship is Godward. Could Christ sin? Absolutely not. He's incapable of it. He is guileless. He's without evil in his thought life. He was innocent and harmless in his relationship, manward. The first one is Godward, that's the holiness. Second one, he's guileless, that's manward. This one is undefiled, he's unstained. His relationship is sinward and refers to his moral purity in contrast to the ritual purity of the Levitical priests, which were rituals only. No, this is real substance. He's separate from sinners and he's made higher than the heavens. That's what's all embodied in the priest that you and I have the benefit of. Boy, what a priest we have. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for their own sins and then for the people's. For he did this once when he offered up himself. See, the Levitical priests, when they were duty, on duty, the first thing they had to do was put up a sacrifice for themselves to get cleansed ritually. Then they could offer sacrifice for others. That was the procedure, just a ritual. Not Christ. Because he offered himself personally once and for all. And for that reason, he, 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 that, that ends it. This he did once. Very important concept. Now the sequence, you know, one of the tasks that the Levitical priests was to offer sacrifices. They first did for themselves, so they were ritually cleansed. And then, then they could represent the people and so forth. There were men, sinners, still in the need of sacrifice for their sins. They were still sinners, these priests were. The writer is contrasting the Levitical priest with a high priest who didn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself. Why? Because he's free from sin. And in fact, he offered himself. That was the offering on the cross for us. Now, he's able to provide for us this very moment because where is he right now? By the way, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? Do you realize that in the tabernacle there were no chairs? The priests never sat. They were always standing. Okay? And there were seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. We'll study in, a, in a, another session or two. But uh, there are no chairs, no place to sit down if they tried. They were always working. He is sitting. Where? On his father's throne. I think that's pretty good access, right? For the law maketh the men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. Jesus is above and superseded the Leviticus. The fact, I think you may think he's overkilling this, but if you go through Leviticus 8 and 9 and read about priests, then come to this, you realize he has superseded all of that. And uh, to be a priest, they would be born into it. And even in its own way, the Aaronic priesthood points to Jesus. Even though he wasn't a high priest in the Levitical system, it still points to priesthood in another sense. And uh, see, the concept of genealogy had to be an heir to be a priest. You had to be an ancestor of Aaron. But the high priests were washed, anointed. The concept of water, the word, were linked up there in a repetitive washing. 
You and I are washed in his blood once and for all, judiciously at the cross, but we're washed practically daily, continually, by the water of the Word. There's two different concepts of washing here. And uh, all the details of the priests were symbolic. They were clothed in white garments, so is Christ in Revelation. They were made a sin offering and took the blood to put on the right ear, in other words, what they heard, the right thumb, that is what they did, and the right foot, where they went. That was the ritual with the Levitical priests. They were anointed with sacred oil, the Holy Spirit. The oil which was used was incredibly expensive. All that is symbolic of Christ. So even in its own way, the Levitical priesthood is predict everything in the Scripture in one way or another is predictive of Jesus Christ. The offerings themselves. It may shock you to realize that the Levitical sacrifice did not start with the law of Moses. We always assume they did because they were ceremonialized under the law of Moses in the Torah. Remember that when Abram was told to offer Isaac in Genesis 22, the ultimate Akedah, that was before the book of Exodus. That's in Genesis 22. Even the story of Cain and Abel is really about sacrifices. But it really all starts back in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with coats of skin. God covered them, teaching them that by the shedding of innocent blood they'd be covered. That concept, that redemptive concept, is introduced in verse 21 of chapter 3. And of course, echoes all the way through, long before the law of Moses. See, the animal sacrifices that populate all these rituals don't really pay for sin. They are a model or a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the only one that could pay for sin. So, there are a lot of different offerings. There's a burnt offering, meal offering. I won't go through all those details now. I encourage you to study them out. There's also a sin offering and a trespass. How do these things differ? Well, the first three are voluntary, a sweet savor. They're offerings to God. The last two are non-sweet savers. That's for us, for our sin, our trespasses. See, the other ones are celebrating what God has done. The last two are pointing to uh, our need for redemption. And the burnt offering had a special name, and it points to Christ, which God makes His soul an offering for our sin. Is followed by a meat offering. Really, it's an unusual, unfortunate old English term to call it meat. It really means strong food. It's really they were really grain. The meat offerings were grain, actually, and uh, an oblation. A form of, they were a form of thanksgiving. Peace offering was also like a banquet or celebration kind of thing. The sin and trespass offerings were specific, of course. The most strangest one is the Passover, which is a non-Levitical because the high priest didn't do it. The head of the family did. So it's it's an interesting one to study for a lot of other reasons. All pointing to Christ, by the way. But, in fact, the Passover season is all about that. So the Levitical priests were taken from men. They were publicly official. They gave gifts and sacrifices before the throne. They were not exempt from their own infirmities. They were not self-appointed. They were chosen and proved by God. Christ is our high priest. He's one of the exceptional servants. He's There's the Son of God, not just the Son of Man. He's without sin, unique in that aspect. And uh, uh, his, his order, being after the order of Melchizedek, is higher than that of the Levitical order, bar none. And so he had the most solemn form of ordination possible. The oath of God himself is recorded in Psalm 110. So the excellency of a sacrifice, he offered himself. There isn't any bigger sacrifice than that. Every dimension of the priesthood, he is the ultimate expression of the perfection of his administration. He accomplished what others could just hint at. His office is perpetual. It isn't transferable and it will never expire. Praise God. So that's an introduction. What I want you to do for next time is to review chapter 8, which is going to talk about a better covenant. We have a better priest. Let's take a look at the covenant.
This is where the New Testament gets its name. The New Testament is the New Covenant. What's that all about? It's more than just Jeremiah 31. We'll get into that next time. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you that we are the beneficiaries of such a fantastic high priest. We can only clumsily begin to get a glimpse of the benefits we enjoy in contrast to that which went before. We acknowledge, Father, that we can learn from the Aaronic priesthood and from the Torah, and yet, Father, we rejoice as we realize that that's all been superseded by our Savior, our Redeemer, our High Priest. And we are just breathless as we realize that His commitment to prayer is continual on our behalf. Oh, Father, we, we thank You for all of this acknowledging that we just begin to get a glimmer of understanding here. But, oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, not only for our creation and our, our, our bodies that are so fantastically, skillfully designed, but even more for our redemption, that you've gone to such extremes as to provide for our failures our inability to keep the law, but the law that shows us our need for a Redeemer and how precious that Redeemer is. Father, we just thank you for him. And we do pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, you would continue to reignite in each of us a new hunger, a new appetite for your word, that you would guide us to appropriate these insights to our own lives as we commit ourselves into your hands, indeed, in the name of Yeshua, our High Priest, our Redeemer, our Lord and King, in whose name we do pray. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Hebrews. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.